0: to our guest a quick message from our sponsor back in June of 2020 i had covid and i still have long covid and one of the symptoms of long covid is insomnia i'll wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning and can't get back to sleep for 2 or 3 4 hours and it kind of ruins the whole day next day because you don't have any energy so what did i do i called mike lindell at my pillow and i got the entire sleep system i have the mattress topper i have the giza sheets which my colleague christine dolan says are regal i have the my pillow the my pillows themselves and i have the comforter which feels like at grandmother's house it's so warm and cozy and i have the regal duvet cover on on top of this comforter so i have the entire sleep system i literally work all day long i'm exhausted i lay down in this sleep system and literally just wake up the next morning it's amazing how well i sleep i i can't get can't wait to get back to it so what can you do you can go to mypillow.com and use promo code cdm and get the best discounts that Mike has to offer right now for the entire sleep system. But don't just get the sleep system. If you're buying household products, make sure to check with Mike Lindell first, promo code CDM to get the best prices. He has over 600 products. Don't go shop at the corporate communists and the big box retailers. Go to Mike first, support the patriotic movement, support free media at CDM. Use promo code CDM at mypillow.com to get the best discounts and sleep really well going forward. And now let's get to our guest. Welcome to the globalist in plain sight. This show has become our most watched literally around the world. We have people from all over the globe uh, tuned in at the moment, uh, live stream. So uh, welcome. Uh, Christine, you have some ideas of where you want to take this show. You had some initial ideas about the World Economic Forum and stopping some of the initiatives there, but it's kind of broadened into something different. Where where do you see the show going?
1: Well, we started it because of the collaboration between the World Economic Forum and the WHO and the pharma industry and the capture. Uh, and we started it in May because of the conversation with, within the WHO about the treaty, the General Assembly that they were having, the amendments that the U.S. government was leading to uh, make changes to, to the 2005 international health regulations. But now with the advancement of the conversation to not only turn over the health sovereignty of every country on earth to the WHO under a plan called the One Health Model, which incorporates animals, plants, and humans, and the movement with the FDA now in the United States for something called the Future Framework, which we will get into later with our guest, David Bell, uh it's it's shifting so fast that uh i've decided that we're going to take on the money side of this as well and not just the money that people have talked about with the pharma, but the money that the governments are throwing to the media the foundations that are throwing to the media we have received information about the threats to journalists to whistleblowers that we know inside pharma and outside of pharma we know about the threats that they are making to not just the medical doctors to take away their licenses in the united states but literally literally accosting people on the street showing them photographs of their mother in their in their homes and we are going to open this up and go after all the law firms all the fixers all these people who work for farmer that are trying to shut people down this is this is this is a game That we're going to expose the names the money who's paying these people because this has more to do with corporate espionage like nothing i've ever seen and we're collecting the names and i want our audience to know if anybody's ever threatened you whether you're a journalist whether you're a whistleblower whether you filed a lawsuit whether you're a scientist come to us because we're going to take this on in the future because this is, this is a ruthless game that the pharma industry involved with the governments are playing. And one of the things I wanna to note to the audience is that there is a lawsuit against Pfizer. They are saying that it is a contract under the Department of Defense, that it is an OTA contract, a prototype contract. And this is not the first time that Pfizer has played that legal game. Back in the 1990s, in Nigeria, there was an outbreak of meningitis. There were experiments that were done on the people who had meningitis. They got access to the Nigerians. The government gave them access to the Nigerians. And later they found out that it was a very bad clinical trial. And then they tried to blame it. Well, it's not our fault at Pfizer because we did this and we did this with the blessing of the Nigerian government. And there was a special report that came out where the Nigerian government said, no, you didn't. And that case was lost by Pfizer. So this is, this is, we're seeing this repeated and we're going to, and we're going to take this on outside of court and expose these people going, going forward. We know that there are some people, uh, law firms that are involved, lawyers that are involved in this, this travesty and we're going to expose every single one of them going forward. We'll take it from here, Christine. It's, okay. it's your show, so I'm going to let you run with it. Okay, great, thanks, Todd. All right, so today we have—we're very honored to have uh, David Bell return to us. who's a physician and has worked at the WHO and worked in conjunction with the Gates Foundation in the past. We've had David on before, and we're honored to have Doctor Rapiti from South Africa, from Cape Town, and uh, and he and he's a physician. He's a family physician, and Doctor, you have been out there helping the poorest of the poor. Uh, in Mitchell's plane, you you live in a country that I adore. Um, I think it's a beautiful country, and I've been there very many times. As a matter of fact, my my Irish heritage goes back to uh, South Africa in the 1820s. So I I've, I've, I'm I'm thrilled that you that you're joining us today to have this global conversation. So let's begin with you first, Doctor. Uh, tell us what you're seeing. You have come out publicly and said that what WHO is involved with is crimes against humanity
2: yeah from the word go when i uh, can you hear me I, I, yes 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 yeah. thank you very much i i just feel comfortable look when they started the epidemic i listened to all these um, my professors and and, and and believed them but later on uh, i came across alternative media and and, and something didn't quite add up But in two years into going into treating COVID, I've I've got a a great deal of expertise and I can say this with confidence. I'm a frontline GP. I see uh, COVID patients way before they come to the WHO's death, or for that matter, into any of your data. Right now, I'm sitting with information I know about Omicron 5 that none of the doctors in the world know about, and I just do not have a platform. I'm very grateful for this, because what you're getting is data and data and data. But you're not getting the data that correlates with the clinical science. Coming back to—I'm going to cut this short very quickly and say why I think the WHO should be out for crimes against humanity. If we look at some statistics, back in 2020, when they um, mentioned, um, declared COVID a pandemic, and they said there was no treatment and people were dying. In 2020, we had 5 million deaths recorded. But in 2021, we had six million, we had one million dead. Now I understand COVID implicitly. In the year twenty twenty we had the uh, the Wuan, the wild type, the alpha strain, and the beta strain. These were mild and self-limiting, ninety-nine point nine percent got better without speaking. I saw this in my practice. But came in, in July of twenty twenty one, we were hit with the Delta strain. That's one and a half years. The Delta strain was about a hundred times more virulent and more and more infectious than any of the previous strains. And so what we added was one million. My big question is, if we had a mild strain in, in 18 months giving you five million, why did we only have one million with a hundred times more virulent strain? Something is wrong. So the five million that was recorded was probably because a PCR test is absolute rubbish. It is not pathognomic of, of COVID, so it was people who died with heart attacks, diabetes. You had a fractured leg. You died in the MBA, You tested positive, and we don't have the data to distinguish: did you die because of or of COVID? So I think those figures are wrong. If anything, if Delta added one million, I don't think we had more than a hundred thousand deaths due to COVID at that time. And if we think about it, in the last thirty years, we had. 16 million deaths from hiv but we're making a big on about covid but yet there are about 300 million people dying of troll and dying of starvation in the world so that was one big lie because the the pandemic was not declared on sound scientific there was no threat to humanity and i can say with confidence with absolute confidence there is treatment repurpose drugs i understand the pathophysiology of covid In the Delta strain, that is when I saw the uptake of uh, patients coming with severe pneumonia. In two months, I treated 1,000 severe pneumonias. And of that, I had a 99.95% treatment success. I had two females with 35% oxygen. I never sent them to hospital. My patients were dead afraid of hospital. They said, Doctor, we're going to die there. We don't want to go to hospital. And they put a lot of burden on me. But I took it on, Christina. I said, I will use my technique, And I've developed a clinical sign that I do not need x-rays. I don't need PCR tests. I don't need scans. I just use my clinical acumen, and I sharpened it. I did, uh, And I found a simple way. Within five minutes, I could make a diagnosis of a pneumonia just on clinical signs. And my motto was treat early, and you prevent complications. I do not have one case of of long COVID, uh, and comorbidities and obesity means nothing to me. I think it was highly discriminatory because I've had a, what, a 25-year-old obese female with a 45% oxygen carried in by four people into my practice with a 45% oxygen. She said, Doctor, I refuse to go to hospital. I'm going to be treated by you. Well, Christina, in two weeks, I had to stay the up and walking with a 95% of 99% oxygen my point i'm making here is the who doesn't want to listen to people like me the fda frankly, don't want to listen to people i've got this. i've got 600 videos proof of my success and i use repurposed drugs and i can tell you in the private hospitals all that they do even in the state and this is where the big lie is why i'm saying the who is guilty of uh, crimes against humanity if there's no treatment Go home, and when you get blue in the face, we will treat you. That's absolute rubbish. You don't treat that pneumonia. Your, your lungs are packed up. You go to the hospitals. All they do is pull your oxygen in packed up lungs, and you end up dying. It's the most stupid thing. I'm just a GP. And I can, this is not rocket science. What I do, and none of the world's doctors are doing, and I'm afraid this is where I come into it. I pick up a pneumonia before the textbook picture comes on. All the patient needs to tell me i and this is what the omicron b5 is now most of you doctors in in the flcc are talking about eight days when you start getting an inflammatory state and the physician will know what i'm talking about in the omicron b5 you get a viral infection last night the next day you come to me and say doctor i don't know why i'm feeling short of breath and that to me says one thing if you're getting short of breath there's lung pathology i'm not going to wait for the classical sign. i hit you hard with anti-inflammatories within five days you should go up and walking i've had people with um three months uh, three weeks of pneumonia the oxygen level reading the oximeter reading that is commonly used by doctors is an absolute waste of time it doesn't correlate to the pathology in the lungs i've had a 79 year old female said doctor i've just had a cough for three weeks i don't know what's going on with you Oxygen 30, uh, 95. This is your lung. You a whopping pneumonia. And this is what uh, people don't realize. We don't treat oxygen levels. We treat patients. We frontline GP. And I've got to know The problem is that you delay treatment of that pneumonia. We don't know how much of that pneumonia is going to result in a complication like emphysema. And I think we've been terribly remiss if we don't pick it up early. So my take is that with the Delta strain, within three days, you've got pneumonia. With the Omicron 5, you guys in the US and the UK, when you're going to get your uh, your winter season, be wary of this. The Omicron 5 is going to hit you hard. Because I, in, in my one month, I've seen about 120 patients, and 115 of them had pneumonia. What does that tell you? Most, this is a highly virulent strain. The only difference is with the Delta strain, within two weeks, what happened is that if you didn't treat that pneumonia, your oxygen plummeted to 80%. You needed home oxygen supplemental oxygen. What I'm finding in the Omicron, you can have quite a whopping in pneumonia, but your oxygen levels remain high at 95%. And my explanation for that is that there is still some healthy lung tissue that maintains your oxygen level, which is a bonus. Then you don't need supplemental oxygen. During the Delta strain, I got no oxygen. Nobody was prepared to give me supplemental oxygen. I treated people in their home and, and and they just, I did it over the phone. I treated people from the UK, the US, Europe, New Zealand on virtual consultation. I could make a diagnosis on clinical science. This stuff about getting uh, a scan proof and x ray proof is hocus pocus. It's an absolute waste of time. And I'm saying it loud and clearly to the world that we need to rewrite the textbooks and now we make a diagnosis of pneumonia. It's quite simple, you get a fever, you get a flu, and then two days later you start getting a cough. And the next thing you're feeling tired. Why are you feeling tired? There's damage in the lungs. So if you treat at that point, you will nip it in the bud. But if you wait for what we call crepitation, you're waiting another week by the time, that time you got damaged. And I've got a gentleman, he took two weeks to come to me because the hospital refused to treat this man. He was begging for oxygen And now it's taking me a lot longer to treat him. But yet all my patients will come within a day of shortness of breath. I have, I have two clinical signs I would like to share with your viewers, and that is called declining tolerance. Because many in particular are very macho. You ask me, no, no, doctor, I tell them, tell me straight. When you dress up, you take a shower, do you feel it's a little bit tiring? Yes. If they answer yes to that, I do another thing that I use, and that's the peak flow meter reading. And I found invariably 95% of them had 25% of it predicted. It's such a simple test, it doesn't take me half a minute. When I get a 25% of the predicted, I'm confident I'm dealing with a pneumonia. And I hit them with three purpose drugs. And within five days, Christina, they well, within 10 days, they're going to get back to work. So the WHO is remiss, they're not listening to me. And the fact that we've got treatment for COVID. There is no need for EUA approval for the vaccines, which have about 1293 side effects. It's absolutely useless. The studies come out now that there's an 86% resistance on the Omicron 5, because it's got four proteins that are resistant to all the vaccines. So we've got treatment. It's an absolute sign. All those people that died in America, they've somebody got blood on their hands. I can guarantee with my treatment, with my treatment, ninety-five percent of them shouldn't have died. I've had people that were nine years old, and I got them better. So
1: that's quite a that's quite a record, Doctor. Uh, it's it's it, it, let me, David. I want to bring you in on this conversation. Why, if why is it that the WHO is not listening to doctors like Doctor Rapiti or and, and colleagues that you know? What is that all about? Because I think people really need to understand, from the public policy point of view, why is it that they're so woefully ignoring what the doctors who are treating the patients with, you know, off-the-shelf drugs? What's going on?
2: Yeah, I mean,
3: I can't say if they're ignoring or not ignoring individual doctors. Um, <clears throat> No, I wouldn't. Doctor Apidius treating patients. I'm not. I wouldn't comment on the clinical aspects of the of these people. Um, so you know, I mean, but just to WHO does not. Um, it gives guidance on treatment, etc. It gets those guidance from other, you know, other um, institutions, etc. And from um, sifting knowledge, etc. So they don't. You know, they take into account individual um, voices, etc., cetera, but in the context of um, their global organization. So I, I wouldn't comment on, um, you know, the WHO being right or wrong in um, taking into account individual experiences. Um, The the WHO, I mean, the treatment has been very unusual. I I agree with Dr Rapiti in that it's been, it's very unusual to have people who have been diagnosed with what is normally considered a, you know, or or they're told is a potentially um, fatal infection and then be sent home with no treatment and very little advice, which is very, has been very common and told to come back if they're very sick. So even, um, you know, the Pfizer on their site, their medical site has um, advice on um, therapy for COVID-19. So it's not, and and that includes advice that, you know, includes drugs that people have been cancelled for mm-hmm. on social media for mentioning. So, you know, leaving aside individual experience, and I respect Dr. Rapidi is, you know, is seeing patients, so he's right and he should be putting out his experience. The, the, yeah, the, the, there is a broader problem here that um, we, yeah, I mean, we locked down, we, there has been some drugs such as remdesivir that have very severe side effects, uh, and everyone acknowledges that, have been pushed out very hard for people. Other drugs have had very few side effects. And some examples are, you know, obviously ivermectin is one because it is used in billions of doses around the world in humans. Mm-hmm. And th- th- this has been vilified and actually said, you know, the safety data isn't there to use it. So, you know, whether it works or not, we have been grossly misled on the safety data on some of these drugs. Normally doctors are free to, make a judgment on patients. So, someone like Dr. Rapiti is normally able to say, this is a safe drug. In this particular patient, I think, you know, my experience suggests that it's going to have benefits. So, I'll give and I'll monitor it carefully. Mm -hmm. That has been taken away in COVID and not, I don't know for any other disease where that's done, but in COVID that was taken away. Doctors who suggest using otherwise safe treatments to assess and see whether they work. and these. Drugs do have anti-inflammatory properties. And from the very beginning, as Dr Rapidi stated, that inflammation is known to be a large part of the cause of mortality um, from COVID. So It's been extremely unusual that we have stopped um, doctors and banned doctors even from using otherwise safe medications that they thought were in the best interest of their patients.
1: And and also this coming week, we have the FDA is going to vote on taking away something else, which is the future frameworks, which means that, that if they vote for this, that means that going forward, that the pharmaceutical companies will are going to have less standards for efficacy and safety for the production of their products. What does that do to the system, David?
3: Yeah, I think it's really concerning. Um, we, we have the vaccine, the mRNA vaccines now. They're a new class of pharmaceutical. They haven't been used and we hear, you know, there's decades of experience. There isn't in humans, yeah, that they've really been used in humans before and only considered really for, seriously, for cancer where, you know, you're willing to take quite significant risk and side effects because you're dealing with a, a treatment, with a disease that is almost uniformly deadly in some cancers. So you're you, need to go down that road of very risky treatments for such people. For something like COVID that, you know, as Dr Pete mentioned, has overall very low mortality, and, um, you know, around, and, and it, I agree, it's extremely difficult to know how many people have died because of the way that we classify COVID deaths in many countries, but you know, probably around, you know, it's published in the WHO bulletin around 0.15%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take that, which is in the general realm of influenza or severe influenza outbreak. Um, so we, we have a vaccine for that, which has been mandated widely. So people are being forced to take it or lose their jobs in many countries. The data on this vaccine were the only randomized controlled trial data we have, which is a gold standard for any medication is that provided by these companies for their regulatory purposes to the FDA and other regulators. That's the only randomized control trials. No one's doing independent randomized control trials, which is unusual. Um, These trials are quite small and if you look at mortality for Moderna and Pfizer, the the six-month mortality in Moderna it was equal in the vaccinated and the unvaccinated on the placebo. For Pfizer, it was one extra death in the um, vaccinated compared to the placebo. And the the data that they actually submitted to FDA seems to have a a bigger gap. So there is a slight excess in deaths, non-significant, but in the vaccinated group versus the unvaccinated. In these RCTs, for the mRNA vaccines for COVID. So they report and they talk about efficacy on the impact on COVID death, which they record from usually excluding the first two weeks after an injection, which again is very unusual. So they're sort of massaging the numbers, but even then, overall at six months, there's, a, there's an excess of deaths in the um, vaccinated arm, a small one. So that, that is not what you expect from a safe and efficacious vaccine if we go down the road of the future framework we won't even have this data you know, the, the, so it's not just this uh, there's a you know severe outcomes also there's a paper uh, frame in it how I just released in the last week which has you know very significant authors on it that uh, has looked at the severe the hospitalization and the severe outcomes and again for all cause which is what matters with a medication right. there's an excess in the vaccinated arm compared to the unvaccinated. This doesn't mean that it might be useful in certain subgroups, but normally you look into that, and we're not. Um, so yeah, so we we have very limited trials, and the trials in children are tiny, there are a few thousand in each arm, even mm-hmm. less in the recent one. These are tiny trials for a vaccine. We normally do tens of thousands. The We have these signals that suggest that there may be as much harm as good because we're seeing more severe outcomes in these trials as presented by the drug companies that are making the vaccines in in the vaccinated group. And yet we're going to take away, if we go through with what's proposed in the future framework of not having to do these trials in the future when they... Reformulate the vaccine. We're going to have zero data on these drugs. That normally, with these sorts of data, these would be red flags. So the VAERS system is a red flag system. It has a, a great increase in mortality, etc. Right. Even though it's underreported, even though it's
1: underreported, and everybody knows that.
3: Yes. So normally, we'd be looking much, much harder at these medications, and we'd be suspicious, and we'd be. Really wanting to test on an all-cause basis, are they really extending lives or not? And, so and we'd the, be running independent trials. We're not, we're actually talking about not running or not reporting trials at all in the future,
1: which is pure insanity. I mean, there's no, there would be no accountability for medicine. Doctor, in, no. in South Africa, um, what, what about the adverse effects? What are you seeing down there from people who have been vaccinated?
4: Yeah, look, in South Africa, fortunately, the, the, the general public is pretty woke and they oppose these vaccines. They, I mean, the word spreads like wildfire in the township. We lived so close to each other. They right. see something, the stroke, they know about it. heart attack. I mean, they're not stupid. I must say, I find the general doctor population pretty stupid because they've been brainwashed. They don't think. I'm a critical thinker, I've always been a critical thinker. I don't expect, accept anything a professor tells me if he doesn't, and that's what puts me in good stead. I'm prepared to take any of these props and I can show them. I've, Christina, I've documented all my cases. And I want to share something with you with regards to, well, the side effects I've seen so far. I've had two patients who went blind in the eye. One had a Bell's palsy, another one had what's called trigeminal neuralgia which is severe pain on the uh, right side. She was perfectly normal. And I had a, a, another gentleman who had um, weakness in his thighs. He was a driver and incidentally this particular gentleman took himself out of a hospital because he wasn't satisfied with their treatment. They wheeled him into my rooms and within a week he was up and walking and the poor chap takes on these jabs and two weeks later he ends up with a weakness of his muscles. But I want to say that I, I've also taken a responsibility what the WHO, FDA, and none of these medical authorities are doing is to look after patients who took these vaccines. And one gentleman who had blindness in his eye, I managed to recover his eyesight using ivermectin, and um, well, basically that was what was my go-to treatment, and it did work. And there, the problem is, the spike protein is something that goes to every cell in your body. I think we must understand this is new technology. It's gene therapy. It is not a vaccine. It does not obey what's called Cox principles. It is about a couple of billion spike proteins in one vial. And when it hits your deltoid region, only 40, 25% remains in the deltoid. When it should be 100%, the other 75% gets to your bloodstream and it goes to all the organs. And I can just roll out all the complications because I'm so voluble on this. But nonetheless, I managed to get the lady with the belt's palsy better using ibuprofen because it's such a versatile drug. This woman, a young girl, 25, was forced to take this vaccine. And she was eventually fired because she was staying out of work. I mean, she didn't commit a crime. This is a terrible part of, of how people are being let down. And I worked with this poor lady, she should get up at 2 o'clock in the morning with acute pains and I have a needling technique, which I do, which is I'm now getting very disillusioned with what I've been taught in medical schools. It's it's like a pill for every ill. They don't listen to patients. We do not empathize. We don't go into sync with what the patient's feeling. Here's a script pad, go get your medicines. Well, I'm pleased to say, Christina, this uh, young lady of 25 was depressed with Bell's palsy, is up and running, got back a, 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 a facial features again, Got back a smile. Got another job, and it's doing well. So we, as doctors, frontline doctors, we don't give up. We try and do something. I think the the the, the medical authorities, the public health authorities, the governments are, are very are, are guilty of not standing by people whom they forced to take the vaccine. So. um Yeah, we do not see that many, they're not reported, it's underreported because we're gonna understand the spike protein leads to thrombosis is one of them. And from the time of the vaccine to the time of the event, could take a year. It's so very easy and glib for the the vaccine companies to say, well, you can't prove it. That's absolute rubbish because Shukrit Bhakti and his colleague did an autopsy on 15 patients who died of of, uh, heart attacks. And when they did the autopsy, they found 14 out of the 15 had spike protein in their blood vessels, proving that there was a 96% correlation between the vaccine and the cardiac deaths. So, um, yeah, on to another. So we don't, I'm not seeing that many uh, COVID-related illness, uh, sicknesses or or events from the vaccine, because people can't tie it up. We're not mentioning this because Pfizer says in their book, Uh, Doctors should be aware of the side effects and they should inform them. How are we made aware? Because they were going to take 75 years. Now I ask you, you got crucial data. You're doing a trial. You don't know this drug and you're waiting 75 years. It's absolutely criminal. This information should be released on the go. You're getting 10 deaths. I mean, with the H1N1 in 1976, they had 50 deaths. They stopped the trial. What they're doing now is criminal. You have something like 70,000 deaths, 3 million adverse events, and nobody's stopping this trial. Who's responsible? Everybody's captured. The media, the judiciary, the doctors, the academics. They've been singing the song. It's safe and effective. It's not safe. It's not effective. And I'm prepared to challenge anyone about that. I mean, you know, if you look at... Um, uh, I don't know if you know about the uh, vaccine causing AIDS. People think it's only HIV causes it. Well, it depresses your immune system to such an extent you end up with no immune system. That is why you see so much of chickenpox, herpes simplex, and children start coming with sepsis because they do not have uh, a good immune system. It's been destroyed either from the mother's breast milk, and now when they're giving it to females as pregnant females, I think we need to understand this very clearly that there's been a big spike of fetal abnormalities and fetal deaths. In the first trimester, you had 86%. I want to hear your listeners to so you hear this very clearly. When the fem- pregnant female gets two vaccines and the third one, that fetus is getting the vaccine as well. Remember, it goes through all the barriers the placental barrier and the brain barrier. So now the fetus in its forming stage, in its forming stage, we don't know what that dose is, is getting three doses of the vaccine. The mother then gets two infections because these vaccines don't work. So now the fetus is now getting five types of spike proteins from the age that they born to age two, They're getting as with the FDA and the 22 idiots will have us know that it's safe and effective with just doing a trial on 354 patients. God's sake, you don't do a trial on 354 patients and unleash this terrible poison on 2 million American kids. You don't need it because that recovery is 100%. Well, this child will now get three more vaccines and two more vi- infections because vaccines won't work. So how, many, how much have you got? Eight times of the uh, times infection of the vaccine. And the dosages of the vaccine are, are, are irregular. Pfizer, 0.3 milligrams, micrograms. And Moderna, 24 micrograms. That's eight times more. The three milligrams is two and is about two and eight times more uh, than more the uh, more than the adult dose, and so the Moderna dose is about twenty times more. So we're really pummeling these little kids who've got good healthy immune beta cells and T cells with their thymus growing. They I've not seen children die, Christina, in my practice. What I can tell you. And, I, and watch my words, if this doesn't, if people don't take my advice seriously, I'm seeing two-year-old children coming to me with a pneumonia. I know the etiopathology. I give them steroids, it's not on, everybody thinks it's a song and dance about ivermectin. Ivermectin has got a limited role, whilst I'm a big fan of ivermectin with the Omicron 5 strain, because remember, your viral stage ends within a day. And once you get into the inflammatory state, ivermectin is not a very good anti inflammatory. You've got to use your steroids. And from that point of view, your Paxlovid, which is absolute rubbish, it's got so many side effects. It's a proteinase inhibition, does not work because after you've gone to day one, your Paxlovid, your Molnupiravir, and Remdesivir don't work. It was a crime what was happening in the US. When people were getting very sick, they were taken to a hospital and they were given a Remdesivir. When you get very sick, it's not the virus. It's your hyper immune system. There's no virus in your body. So you're hitting blank bullets using a toxic drug, which is toxic to the kidney, giving them renal failure. And they were dying, not because of the uh, uh, c- coronavirus. They were dying because the inflammation was not being treated, And on top of it, they were giving a toxic drug that was killing their kidneys, giving them renal failure. They go into renal failure, these stupid guys, put them on ventilators. It was a waste of time. What I would have done is put them on a, a, anti-inflammatory te- uh, treatment. The other thing that I'm seeing in the Omicron-5 is a high clotting incidence. It is amazing. They come within to me within two to three days. And I find when there's something called the D-dimer, which I use, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the normal rate to be about 500. I've seen them within three days with 1,500. I don't play with these patients. I put them on high dose anticoagulants. I can stop your bleeding. I don't care if you bleed a bit, not a problem. I can stop the drug and stop the bleeding. But if you got a clot to the brain, you're a young, healthy mom. I don't want you to get a clot and die. I am a physician. I look futuristically. I just don't treat disease. I treat the person. I want them to be healthy and comfortable. And my message to doctors listening to your program, Treat these patients early. Stop that pneumonia. Prevent a complication and send out a healthy patient. Don't do heroics. Wait a week like the WHO FDA and the CDC will tell you, go home and half die and we'll try and resuscitate a corpse. You're better off dying than, 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 and, than surviving w- without all your funct- your organ functions, maybe, because you have going to have decreased lung functions. On the issue of ivermectin, I want to tell you quite straight and up front that there's no such thing as it is A, ineffective, and B, that it's unsafe. I'll just refer you to one study that has now proved high-dose ivermectin and what's its effects. There were 89 people. It was done by the International Journal of Antimicrobial Agents. They took these 89 patients. They divided them into three groups. The normal standard dose of ivermectin is 0.4 milligrams per kg. They use 0.6 and 0.12. That is three times the therapeutic dose. And what was the result? The one group was placebo, and the other two was 0.6 and 1.2. There were only four major adverse events that needed to go to a hospital. And the researchers found these adverse events could not be correlated to ivermectin, and all of them got better. So there you have it. WHO, FDA, Dr. Fauci, we've got high-dose ivermectin, nobody died from it, no adverse events. Now I'll tell you, Christina, I was daring in the Delta strain when I knew this virus was multiplying a hundred times. I said, I'm gonna hit this virus hard and I'm gonna go up to one milligram per kg because I thought I'd rather give you a side effect of diarrhea than under-diagnose, underdose you and send you to your bloody grave. So none of them died. So I've got proof. And I've used them and I've gotten people better. So the two points that Swami Natham from Dr. Swami from WHO said to India, don't use ivermectin because it is dangerous. Well, I've got news for it is not dangerous. Four billion doses have been used for, for river blindness. And in the during the COVID period, Uttar Pradesh, Peru, Mexico, and now Japan combined, they have a population of half a billion. We have half a billion. Was there one case where it showed that people died of uh, ivermectin, no. If you look at all the fake studies that said, oh, ivermectin doesn't work, show me one fake study that showed you that ivermectin killed anybody. The benchmark is, does the drug kill anybody? If it doesn't, then we doctors are allowed to use it. These people, WHO, Fauci and the whole shooting batch have violated the Helsinki agreement that allows us the declaration, we as doctors, in the absence of treatment in a crisis, a doctor has a right to use the drug at his disposal to save his patient. No board, no American board of doctors bought off by Bill Gates or whoever, or the WHO FDA can stop me as a doctor to treat a patient with repurposed drugs. What's the flavor of the decade? Use repurposed drugs. What happened to Viagra? It's an anti-anginal drug. And what it turned out to be? An erectile dysfunction drug. Do we say don't use it? We're using all these drugs. They're repurposed drugs. Colchicin is an excellent drug. We use it for inflammation. And I've used it widely and extensively. So... They, they are, uh, they are guilty. They must be prosecuted because ivermectin is safe, it's effective, and and it, uh, there's no harm. Uh, in, there's no it, the the death so far from ivermectin in its 40 year history has been about 300. And to date, they could not correlate those deaths to ivermectin because what ivermectin does, it kills the worms in your body, and people could have an anaphylactic reaction from the breakdown products of the worm. So, actually, uh, Christina, Ivermectin is safer than your aspirin and your panado. And those guys who wrote the fake articles about dissing Ivermectin were paid to do so. I right. mean, they. I, I mean, it, when they said it didn't work, and I'll tell you why it won't work. You use Ivermectin in the inflammatory stage, it won't work. It's the same thing like using Iver, uh, remdesivir. So it's absolute rubbish. Wrong right. timing, wrong dose. I'm right. the master. I'm the pioneer of it, so there ain't no textbook they're going to teach me. I'm going to write the textbooks for Stephen.
1: I know, Doctor Repeta. You, 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 you are you are a you know you're you're great in in terms of the aramectin. And we have done a number of interviews of VAX injured since over a year and a half. We've been interviewing people who have had severe VAX injured injuries and multiple injuries, not just one. But they, many of these people out of sheer desperation of not getting the right treatments, even tried ivermectin when they couldn't walk and they and they actually could walk. So, I mean, we, we know anecdotally from what some of these vax-injured uh, individuals had to, you know, they, they risked, they took it and they, they got better. But I want to ask you guys, because we're running out of time here, <clears throat> short answers for what is your impression when uh, and we know this to be true because a study came out. Uh, I guess it was in the last ten days, and it was a study of 1.5 million people uh, uh, who had COVID, long haul COVID, and we found out during the Biden administration that the the U.S. government put in uh, it was an, it was an NIH study, one billion dollars to study long. COVID disease. I mean, COVID long haulers is what we call them here in the States, but they didn't put any money into studying the VAX injured. What's your impression as, as, as doctors and people who are in the medical field that they would put money towards those who have long COVID disease long haulers, but not into the VAX injured? Yeah. David, do you want to take that first?
3: Okay, um,
1: <clears throat> yeah. knowing what we know, <clears throat> from the numbers with VAERS, why the hell would they have put money into studying the vaccination injured, but only you know, and, and 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 I mean, why wouldn't they do that?
3: Well, I, I mean, I think in a way the the answer is clear that they are uh, they are adamant that people are not being injured significantly from the vaccine um, and. If, if they did fund such a study, that would be seen as an admission that there was a problem.
1: So they didn't, uh, they didn't want to create any vax hesitancy? Uh,
3: uh, yeah, I, I am sure that that is the reason. That, that's the reason why, in the case of COVID, VAERS data have been you know denigrated and ignored by the people who run VAERS. Um, it, it, we haven't seen that for other vaccines. The so VAERS is there. It, it's a red flag system. Um, when you get a sudden massive increase, as we have seen, then a red flag means that's a red flag. So yeah. you go and investigate it. You put money into investigating and looking and seeing exactly what is going on. And that doesn't seem to happen. Um, the, 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 the repurposing treatments is the same issue. Why wouldn't you put a lot of resources quickly into seeing whether you have very low cost drugs? Right. which you know in combination could mitigate mortality and it would be remarkable given the you know the way that, toge- that covid targets old you know sick people and the uh, comorbidities etc it would be remarkable if there wasn't a set of treatments that at least mitigated mortality because you know we have anti-inflammatory drugs we we have drugs with antiviral um you know properties, etc., it would be remarkable. And this we have safe drugs as you know Dr. Pitti mentioned, steroids. And there, you know, there is evidence, for instance, that inhaled steroids had a big impact in the UK. But we haven't seen these um rolled out in large numbers. We haven't seen a lot of money put into is there a way to save these lives quickly with these sorts of drugs? Um, mm-hmm. Long COVID is you know it the, the most respiratory viruses that cause pneumonia will have, you know, in some people, long-term symptoms. Um, so it's not surprising. The spike protein we know it is in many ways a toxin. So it is not surprising that people with COVID have, you know, some people have long-term symptoms. It, the, the studies that have looked at um, who, you know, compared symptoms with, actual, you know, serological evidence of having had the infection show that it is it, there is only a, a moderate increase in those, in these symptoms, in those who've actually had proven COVID to those who didn't. So a lot of the symptoms that we're seeing are probably also the results of lockdowns and stress, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's, I, I think probably money is being put there because, or you could argue that it is, um, there seems to be a movement to make people think that COVID is an existential crisis and that will help mitigate vaccine hesitancy. A lot of people making a lot of money from selling vaccines. So I don't think they're disconnected probably.
1: Dr. What do you take on that? I mean, are they doing any studies in South Africa on the vaccine injured?
4: Uh, no, no, they don't. In fact, uh, the doctors are in denial or they yank or they're afraid I mean, when I sent the patient with the blindness and uh, to the ophthalmologist, and I, I, I was straight up, I said, this, was a vac- this is a vaccine injury because I've never seen somebody get a clot suddenly spontaneously in such a tiny vessel. And when she went to see the uh, ophthalmologist, they said, well, I don't know why you got it. That's a typical answer, they don't worry about it. But I wanna talk about long COVID because I'm a family physician, I'm a generalist. I've treated over 3,000 patients in the last two and a half years. I've only had two that I would consider long COVID. I really think that long COVID is overdiagnosed and one of the reasons people might be getting over long COVID in your country is because they don't treat COVID. That's the trouble. <laughs> if they come to me, I would treat them and you won't get it. I've got three thousand patients. The other thing is we need more generalists we don't need medicine has gone bonkers. We've gone super specialized. Before it was just the nice, eyes, now it's a specialist with a left eye and a specialist with a bloody right eye. <laughs> I treat everything. What I am seeing in my practice is a lot of PTSD, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. I get a lot of asthma. I have a special interest in asthma. So what happens is that they can't breathe. Oh my God, doctor, I think I've got COVID back again. And they get panic attacks. I mm-hmm. put my arm around them. I was never afraid of COVID. This is rubbish that oh well if you've got COVID, you must wear your mask four times like Fauci said, you got an infection, you got protection, you don't need to be afraid. It's only when you got the jab, you got no protection. But you got natural immunity, I walked about without a mask. I was bearing, I'm 74, I had two heart attacks, I've seen over 4,000 patients, nothing damn will happen to me, so I'm fine. So what, I'm, what your doctors are diagnosing as I, as long COVID, if they'd come to me, I'd probably pick them up as anxiety disorder, stress-related disorder, post-traumatic stress, and you don't need a pull for them. You need to reassure them that they won't. I've had several patients who came to me with depression after because they had feared they were going to die. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think one realizes it's not the COVID virus that kills you. It's the hyperimmune response. So it's not everything is... About ivermectin. It's a multitude of drugs. I mean, I didn't even mention to you, I use black seed, which is so in ligellus or which is right. found to be far superior to ivermectin and remdesivir. So th- there's things like neck, there are treatments. And I think the reason for the high incidence of long COVID, if it is in your country, it's because there's a delay in treatment. I've had one gentleman with the Omicron strain, he didn't come to see me. He saw me two weeks later feeling very lethargic in time. And I suspect had he come to me earlier, I'd have given him ivermectin as I'd normally do. And he wouldn't have been because all the other 110 patients, no long COVID, I have not seen any long COVID. So something is wrong out there. We need better diagnostic skills.
1: Well, we certainly need the, the medical profession to go back to what it was in the old days, was the relationship between the pa- the patient and the doctor and get all these bureaucrats and corporations and and uh, captured agencies out of the system and get some ethics and common sense back on the table. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's been enjoyable. Dr. Rapiti, we'll have you back. David Bell, you always know that you're welcome to come back and um you know god willing will come out of this at some point but people need to keep their eyes on this week to find out if the bureaucrats at the FDA are going to even lower the standards for efficacy and safety and people need to shout out and let them know that that's unacceptable and the the lawyers who are going after these pharmaceutical companies they need to step up their their game and the whistleblowers who are on the inside they need you need to step out you need to come out Bring the documents. You know what's going on on the inside. You know that the pharmaceutical executives and the board members are fully aware of the adverse effects because this truly is getting down to life and death and crimes against humanity, as Dr. Rapiti has said. Thank you very much. Thank you. Christina, could you have a
4: link for this program for today? my, My followers, I have a huge following in your country. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. We'll send it to you. Thank you. For right. again.
4: Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you, David. Lovely chatting to you guys. Thanks.
1: Have,
4: have a good day. Thank you.